I don't know what is happening to me. All I know is that it is happening. Tonight on The CW. Are you a superhero? Superheroes aren't real. What if they are? It's the incredible new series from Ava DuVernay. You have power I have never felt before. This is real, whether you believe it or not. I just want to be normal. You're not normal. You, Naomi McDuffie, are exceptional. Naomi, the can't-miss series premiere tonight on The CW. Tonight at 9, only on DCW 50, Washington CW. You are listening to an exclusive on PodHub Network. Your city, your podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of Back to the Berg, presented by the PodHub Network. My guest today is from Ambridge, PA, played baseball at the University of Slippy Rock, and soon after, uh, he sought out his coaching career. He is now the coach of my undergrad alma mater, Bethany College. Please welcome Justin Thomas. JT, what's up? How you doing? Hey man, how you doing? My guy. Dude, these Steelers, not looking great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, the goal is, you know, Lombardi. The goal isn't undefeated. Yep. You know, and then the biggest thing, too, is in it, not only in sports in general, but especially professionals. Like, you could be five and seven, you know, but you're a professional athlete. Yeah. You know, any given day, you could lose. You yeah, know, and I think – but you also have to look at, at – at one point in the game today, we were down two – Three starting linebackers, two corners, center running back, and it, and we were and for whatever reason we were allergic to catching the ball. Yep. But you know I think I think that we'll get some normalcy back. You know probably Tuesday, Wednesday off, and you know stuff like that. And I think we'll be all right. I'm not worried. Yeah. You know what I mean I'm not worried. Yeah. You know, I think the last two years we haven't been in the playoffs, and right now we're eleven to one. Yeah, so I'm not. Well, I'm not I know gonna... I know we can talk Steelers all day, me and you, but we're gonna talk. We're here to talk about you specifically. Sure. So you grew up in Ambridge. Uh, I grew up in Beaver. We've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. Um, another little thing: you're the first person on this show that I've actually interviewed before. So kudos to you for that. <laughs> so what was it like growing up in Ambridge? Like I, I don't think we played you whenever I was growing up. We didn't play Ambridge a lot outside of like booster baseball so i didn't get to see a lot of ambridge what was it like over there so when i was in high school and, and years after ambridge and beaver was big in soccer yeah okay yeah that was the robbery and then i know actually there was a i think a young man from beaver and the two or three young men from uh ambridge played together at slippy rock when i was there so i heard about that too but uh growing up in ambridge was you know it was fun you know i was really fortunate and blessed to be in the neighborhood that I was in because, you know, there was a lot of kids my age. So I moved there when I was seven. Cause okay. I grew up, oh, I was born in Swickley. I went to Quaker Valley. Great. Oh, you're a rich boy. Okay. <laughs> Yo, <laughs> no, 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 no. I moved to Ambridge. Hey, there's a difference between renting a house and buying a house. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know I hear that. I mean? <laughs> so, so I went from, you know, kindergarten to third grade, I was in Quaker Valley. And then that summer after third, between third and fourth, I moved to Ambridge. And it was completely different to, like, I'll never forget moving, like moving into my house and carrying stuff up the stairs and a flock of kids were like at the bottom of my step, like wanting me to come play. And I'm like, I have no idea who any of you are. It was, there were skateboards, there was um, scooters. 
there was boys, it was girls, and it was like 12 of them. Yeah. Like, hey, you come <laughs> on play. Like, don't know anybody's name, anything. But that was the neighborhood that I was moving into. And, you know, and it was very fortunate and, and very blessed to be in that neighborhood. And um, not only that was, you know, parents, obviously, you know, a lot of them were, were working, you know, it's Western PA, blue collar, get up, go to work. Yep. So in the summertime, the kids are, you know, somewhat on their own to an extent. But we had a, we had a, um, there was an older couple, grandparents who were like right in the middle of the street where we always played. And they were like everybody's grandparents. So they always, they would make us lunch. You know, we go there, hang out sometimes, you know, whenever we played, like whenever we would pick teams and all that kind of stuff, we would pick them in front of their house. Yeah. So like nothing would really happen. So like from eight to four, I really didn't, you know, I was always had chores to do in the house. So I had some responsibility, but like before, whenever I go outside at like 11 or 12, we're always there, you know? So if my mom needed me, she knew who to call. You know, they always looked out for all of us, you know, and then we we're all older now, but, you know, I love it. You know, whenever I go home, like if you go to my Twitter handle, you know, it says location, it says fourth and pine and yeah. it has the street, you know, the street of where I grew up playing at. It's probably, you know, easily one of my favorite places ever. I always, always love going back there. And then like, even going back now, I see a basketball hoop and I see kids on the street that yell car whenever a car's coming. And that was <laughs> me 25 years ago. And it's, it's, uh, it's pretty neat. Yeah, no, I remember from our first interview, the first time I interviewed you, it was like literally just getting introduced to you because mm -hmm. you had just come to Bethany. And I remember you mentioning 4th and Pine. That's it. And just how awesome it was to grow up there. Yeah, man. Home sweet Pine Street. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. So like growing up, uh, what were all the sports you played? Like obviously baseball. Were you a football guy? Were you a soccer guy? No. I was only... I was only baseball, but I could throw a football better than I could throw a baseball. <laughs> and ultimate, and I always tell people, like, you know how, you know, you always have, like, what was the one thing you regret or what was the one thing you would go change? If I could start over, I would go back to ninth grade and I would play football, basketball, baseball, or at least basketball, baseball. Yeah. Like, I knew that I was good enough to play baseball. But the other sports is where I would have gained the – the work ethic, you know, in the weight room, the running, the conditioning. Yeah. So I could have played high school basketball and not played a second in a game, but just from practice, so much running, I would have been in better shape. I was always a bigger, heavier guy, but I could still play. But yeah. just from running up and down the court, I probably would have been 15 pounds lighter before baseball, and that would have made me a better player, better athlete. Yeah. But I only played – I only played baseball. That's the only thing. Well, I will say this though: I was the only game I ever loved. You know, okay, so I, that make, I mean that I makes like, sense. I like football. I like basketball. Don't get me wrong, but like the only thing that I ever loved, you know, the only thing that I ever thought I could never do without was baseball. So when it came time to play, you know, that's that's what yeah. So you mentioned that like baseball was the only thing you knew you could do. Like you knew you were good at it. Mm -hmm. Was that kind of the mentality of why you didn't play other sports? Like oh, I, I haven't played football before, so why should I try? Why should I fail? Was it like a fear of failure almost? No, it wasn't a fear of failure. I think it was a a lack a lack of love. Okay. You know what I mean? So, like, I could see football and be like, yeah, that's cool. I like that. Or I could see hoops and I could say, yeah, that's cool. I like that. But when I saw baseball, everything stopped. Like, I need, you know, I love that. I need that. Yeah. So when I got to the age where it was time to play, 
you know, I had to, I had to play. And I think that, you know, and my brother, not to pick on him, but like whenever he would baby, my brother and I are 17 years apart. Okay. So he would babysit me and he, and he would learn that if he sat me in front of a Pittsburgh power game, I wouldn't move, you know, so you have, <laughs> you have, you have certain things that, you know, you can call it your destiny or what, whatever your word yeah. is that you might be made to do or you're made to be a part of this. And I think that that's what it was for me because I remember my my grandmother and my godmother telling me we'd be out shopping and I'd find a mirror at JCPenney's and I'd act like I'm throwing or swinging. Like, what are you doing? You know, I didn't act like I was taking snaps or shooting free throws. It was always yeah. a fake swing or a fake throw or something like that. But it was never a fear of failure. Okay. I just think it was a lack of love. It was like versus love. Like I liked those things, but I didn't love them. So yeah. I found something I love. I, okay, that's what it is. That's what I'm that's it. That's the one so thing. I got to the age where I could sign up and play. That was all she wrote. After that's that, awesome. I don't think I've ever stopped living or breathing, you know, ball ever since. Yeah, I'm looking at your resume, it, it, I can tell. <laughs> but we'll get into that. Right. So, uh, growing up, you know, going through high school and everything. Or wait, I'm going to backtrack. What was the place to hang out at other than Fourth and Pine? Where would you always go, like after school, whatever? What was the place? Um, not so much. Well, after school, you know, elementary school and, and middle school, it was definitely going outside, you know, on Pine Street with my friends. But yeah. I'd say in high school, it was um, just hanging around the school after school was out. So, you know, school was out at 225, and we wouldn't really leave at 225. Okay. You know, I lived where I could catch a bus or where I could walk. So sometimes I walk, you know, if the weather's nice, obviously. But, um, you know, hanging around school with friends after the bell rings, stuff like that. And um, that was it. I really didn't I really didn't hang out too, too much, you know. But uh, I'd probably say through that high school age, you know, maybe going to a high school basketball game. Definitely went to high school football games, you know, on yeah. Friday night. So I did that. And going to high school basketball games to see my friends play, you know, football and basketball and stuff like that. And um, that, I probably say that was it for me personally. I really didn't hang out too, too much whenever I was in, in school. But um, I'd say, you know, Friday night, high school basketball. And then, you know, during the week, you know, uh, sometimes we'd have baseball lifting and we'd be over right before the JV game. So then you go to the JV game, then you stay for the varsity game and all that kind of stuff. But that was yeah. probably about it for me. Gotcha, gotcha. So throughout high school, um, what were some of your biggest accomplishments on the, on the field? Oh, man. I think my biggest accomplishment throughout high school on the field was our senior year making the playoffs. Uh, my junior year, we were one year short. Or not, excuse me, not one year short, but we were one game short. And, um, you know, we probably had more talent junior year than we did senior year. But it was just a fact of, I remember being on the bus with the juniors after that last game, who I guess essentially were now seniors. And yeah. we were just like, look, man, we can make the playoffs. So, you know, May of 2004 saying, hey, we're going to make the playoffs. And then May of 2005 being in the playoffs, you know, even though we lost in the first round, like saying something 12 months, 12 months in advance, working and actually achieving yeah. it, that was probably the biggest accomplishment, you know, and, um, in high school, we got our jerseys as a senior gift with our last name on them. And I still have it hanging up in my bedroom. And on the front, there's a Whippeal playoff patch. 
So, like, the jersey's cool, but, like, when I see the patch, I always go back to that moment whenever the guys were like, hey, look, man, we're going to make the playoffs next year. You know, so I think to the, to the point of the Whippeal, accomplish. yeah, to the point of the Whippeal, I just want to say, I feel like people outside of, well, the Whippeal and outside of Pittsburgh and, like, Western PA, like, they don't understand how important the Whippeal is. Oh, man, it's legendary. Because it's like, Grow it like playing high school football. I wasn't worried about states. I was worried about the Whippeal because that we, I think we knew that's where all the talent is, is Western yeah, PA. Yeah, for sure. And it's, and it's more so, and I think that comes from the different levels. Okay. So, like, obviously, Whippeal football is, is good in high school, right? Yeah. Yeah. But then you go look at how many Whippeal guys go to the next level big time. And then look at how many Whippeal guys are in the NFL. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, and then part of that, you know, and I'll be honest, part of that's probably just being Whitfield. We're in our own bubble. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's like, okay, if you're not Whitfield, then it's like, all right, well, what do you got? And re- regardless of sport, you know, but I mean, Western PA is definitely football, basketball. So even then, like, whenever you have Whitfield, it's, you can look in the NFL now and count Whitfield guys. Yeah. You know, you can look at the, you can look at quarterbacks just from Western PA. You know, and and it's it's big time. You know, I tell people that I'm from Ambridge, and they're like, "What?" And I'm like, "Okay, I'm across the river from Aliquippa." And they go, "Oh, okay." Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's um. But why do you think they know that? Because of high school football, because of a Whitfield team that's been dominant for years. That's where they get. It. That's where they know the name from. You know, so I think that you know Whitfield is definitely important to us, regardless of sport. But I mean, I understand that Western PA. You know, lately baseball has been creeping up in regards to importance. Yeah. But, um, it's definitely a football basketball area. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, no, you say that with baseballers. There's a guy I have on my radar that I want to get on this show, Brendan McKay. I interviewed one yeah, of his good friends. Friend. Yeah, I interviewed one of his good friends who plays for the Wild Things now. I would love to get Brendan on here and, like, talk to him about how baseball – has started to creep up in the importance of, like we just said, the Whippeal. Because like you said, it, it's been basketball and basketball and football forever. But now you see, you're seeing a lot more baseball players start to make it out of the Whippeal and oh, oh, give it yeah. way more credibility. Definitely. They, you know, they're, they're getting there. You know, he's made it to the show. You know what I mean? He's yeah. made it to the show. And I know Libertor has made it to the show, another well, Whippeal Western PA guy. Yep. And, um, you know, each year, you know, lately, I probably say the past 10 years, you see more and more Division One commits, and then you see more and more draft picks. You know, I think what Hendricks was twelfth overall in the first round from West Allegheny. Yeah, that's huge. That's crazy. West Allegheny. I mean, when you hear West Allegheny, so in my age, the first thing I think of is Doran Dickerson and Tyler Palco. Yep. For football, you know, yep. and then now you're looking at twelfth uh, round or um, excuse me, uh, first round twelfth overall. <sighs> that's big. And that's like I talked to Burkett, and he he went in the sixth round. And he ended up being a very good pitcher in the MLB. Yeah. And even though it's the 80s, 90s, 2000s, but still. Yeah. So now let's let's talk about you. I know we got off on a tangent, but That's I like right. I like talking about the Whippeal. Anytime I can talk about the Whippeal. Hey, man, it's home. It's home for sure. I mean, so, I went to school at Slippery Rock, so I was on a border of I can go 15 yeah. minutes south and be Whippeal or 15 minutes north and be District 10. So, you yeah. know, I had, to, I had to fight for it in college. Yeah, exactly. And that, that leads me into my next uh, segment. Let's talk about college. 
Um, what made you go to Slippy Rock? Was that maybe the <clears throat> only school that offered you to play baseball? Were there several schools that offer you to play baseball? Or is it just the right fit for you? So my route to college, you know, before we get to Slippy Rock baseball, is it's a little bit of a, you know, pin dot detour here, there, and everywhere. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I graduated high school in 2005. And it's so funny now being a head coach. And then at the previous school I was at, I was an instructor and coach because now I'm harping on academics. Yeah. I was not a good high school student. Same. I was not. <laughs> so when I graduated high school, I ended up moving down south. I lived with a few of my cousins. I had some family in the area and I went to a community college. Okay. I wasn't playing baseball. So from 05, 06, I didn't play ball. I just went to school. Came back home in the summer. I played Legion. Um, that was fun. And I decided to move back. So not only did I come back home in the summer, I decided to move back. I got accepted in the Slippy Rock as a transfer. So fall of 06, I go to Slippy Rock and I, uh, I go, I walk on. And I, I make it. So now I'm practicing with the team in the fall, but I still have to make it through the fall to get my jersey in the spring. Yeah. Right. So about two weeks after that, I get an email about having to meet with uh, our compliance director. So I'm like, I didn't do anything wrong. Like, but, you know, what's going on? Well, between going to a community college in Texas, and I actually took two classes at CCBC over the summer, I earned 25 credits. So I'm thinking, okay, well, I'm at 24. I'm good to go. Only yeah. 19 transferred. So then 06, 07, I had to sit out. So now that's two years that I didn't play high school ball. Or I mean, yeah. I'm sorry, college ball. Yeah. But I was in school. So I went home and I played rec league. I had a job, you know, worked out, all that kind of stuff. So fall of 07, I came back, walked on again. And then at that point, I was good to go. And I played 08, 09, and 2010. So I had, like I said, I had a little bit of a route to get there, but I um, I gave myself three different options when I was decided to move home and uh, Slippy Rock was my first choice. I got accepted and I was going to go there, you know, so if I walked on and made it, you know, here we are, right? If I didn't yeah. make it, I would have, I would have went to school there just for the fit. It was, it was close by. There was a lot of people from my area that was there. And then um, it was an hour from home. Yeah. So it was a really good fit. You know, it was a decent, it was far away from home, but still close. Not huge campus, but a good size. And um, it did become a good fit. You know, it became a really good fit for me um, to be a part of the team for three years and, and be a reliever there. So I wasn't necessarily, I wasn't offered, you know, I, I had to earn my, earn my jersey as a, as a walk-on. Yeah. You know, so my, like I said, my situation was a lot different than probably what the normal, what you would think you know, the, the normal college baseball coach would have went through. But what I've learned is that every college coach has their story. Yeah. You know, there's some kind of story, you know, I probably say eight or nine out of 10 college coaches have some kind of story. That's kind of crazy. Like, man, I would have never thought you did that. Now, yeah. usually you don't think someone that's coaching college baseball went two years after high school without playing it, you know, so it's a little bit of a, a little bit of a, yeah. Difference. So let's dive into that. How did that affect your play? Cause like, like you said, you played rec leagues but you're not playing at the next level per se. So how did that, how, how was that transition? And like, how were you able to get to the next level yourself? Like physically? Um, had to grow, you know, my senior year of high school was the first time I started lifting weights. 
you know, so seeing the seeing the the progress from junior to senior year, you know, that continued. So I continued to work out. I continued to get stronger. I was really new to it. I was young in regards to being in the weight room, but um, it didn't affect my play in a sense that I was confident in my ability, you know, and I continued to always work hard. And it was just a matter of, of being patient, you know, and, and visualizing your success and visualizing what you want to be and what you want to become, you know, your mind is very, you know, very powerful. So, you know, if you see, like, I think they did the the story with Kobe, the kid, like the little cartoon in his bedroom, shooting the ball by himself. Like that was me. Yeah. You know, I had a vision of what I wanted to be and what I wanted to get to. So then when it came to getting on the field, you have to put confidence and trust in the work that you put in and go out there and play to the best of your ability. So, and, and, for me, it was also, you have to think too, is we had the fall. So although I didn't play um, 06, 07, the fall of 06 for a little bit, I was practicing. So I was pitching in inner squads. So I was competing. And then when I came back in the following fall, I was practicing inner squads and I was competing. So I was showing <clears throat> myself that if I can compete with these guys in the fall inner squads, I think I'll have a role in regards to being a part of the team in the, um, in the spring. Awesome. Now, I don't know. I, I don't I haven't looked into him because I don't like the team that he played for when I found out who he was. Did you ever play with Matt Adams? Yeah. Yeah. OK. Yeah. I didn't know if that was your your time period or not. I didn't know if he came after. Yep. Maddie so, and I played Maddie and I played together in college and he was I mean, you know, he's been in the big leagues for eight years now. And, and yeah, he, the first time I was introduced to him was when he's playing for the Cardinals. And I was like, screw that guy. I don't care if he wants to slip your rock. <laughs> right. But listen, I was the same way until he did something. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I want Matt to go four for four with four home runs and the Cardinals lose like eight to four. Yep. <laughs> yeah, Pretty much. But, um, no, it it was just – it's one of those things that you see somebody that you went to the dining hall with, that you hung out with, you you shared, you know, the bus with and, and all that kind of stuff to be playing in a World Series and, you know, getting the ring with the Nationals. and It's awesome. You know what I mean? It's crazy just to sit there and watch on TV and be like, man, I know that guy. You know, I played with that guy. You yeah. know, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. And then to see him continue to hit – Everybody else, you see tweets, oh, he's hitting this. And I'm like, yeah, he's been doing that for a while. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's the one That's the one thing about about Matt. You you can say what you want to say, but my guy can hit. Yeah, so, yeah. Like, you, like, playing with him and being around him in college, did you, like, just your opinion, did you think he could make it to the next level? Did he just stand out? Or was it a very rigorous developmental pro process for him? Um, I think it's one of those things for him, like, you can tell that he was different. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, he was – there were certain things about him that were – like, if Matt struck out looking, yeah, like, we were like, no, nah, it's probably not a strike. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You know, like, and he would – you know, he didn't really – like, if he would swing and miss, like, man, what is this guy throwing? You know, because, you know, when Matt – you know, Matt's – you know, he was the, the top of the top. Yeah, it's just like, you know, this guy's you know, different. Right, thing. right, you know, and it was, and we were always confident in him, honestly, you know, when he got up there, we expected <laughs> double or nothing, <laughs> but it was, it was fun, man, and it was, I mean, he definitely had the work to get to where he was at, and then seeing his progress through the minor leagues, 
that was the best part because you're like he got drafted, he was in the minors, but then you see like double A, he won player of the year, and you're like, man, he's gonna get there. Like that's when you know, like, man, I just pray he stays healthy. Yeah. Because because he, he's gonna hit, just stay healthy. And I always wanted him to go to an American League team because of the DH. Yeah. So, It'd be perfect for him. <laughs> it'd be huge. I mean, I mean, yeah. he, I mean, thus far he still had a good career. But if you were to get picked up by by an AL team where he could DH and maybe play first here or there, be in good shape. Yeah, for sure. So let's get back to you and Slippy Rock and the social aspect of Slippy Rock. Uh, that's something that I got to experience by my brother going to Slippy Rock. So what what was your favorite spot to hang out there? Oh man, my favorite spot to hang out in college was probably I would probably say when I lived at the Heights. Okay. When I lived at the Heights because I had three roommates that were teammates. Uh, we had a group of friends across the street that we would hang out with. And um, whenever we did have parties, you know, we ended up having a whole, too many people there. <laughs> and we would have uh, – we would have people would go out into the backyard, but that was, you know, that was it. Just living with my teammates was probably the best part because there was three of them. You know, there was, there was two of them transferred in from junior college. And then one of them was a transfer the year before from West Allegheny who I played against in high school. Yeah. <laughs> go figure. But um, that was the best. That was the best time, man. Just hanging out with the guys, you know, your, your teammates and the other teammates come over you know, and then you really get to learn them and learn about them and, and how they view baseball and how they view the game and, and stuff like that. But that would probably be that and Club Bailey, a.k.a. the library during finals week. The place was always always a party spot. What's what's the story behind that? I've never heard about that before. Well, no, the, it was the Bailey. The library was the Bailey library. Yeah. But during finals week, we always called it Club Bailey because everybody was studying. Oh, OK. You know, so it was like, man, Club Bailey's packed. And it was just, you know, finals week, you know, you had the computers on the first floor, you had second floor. And then the third floor, I think was like a silent floor. Like there was no mute, there was no noise at all. So whenever you really had to dial in on your, on your studies, we would go up there. And then um, we had the arc as well, our rec. There was yeah. four basketball courts, weight room, track upstairs. It was top of the line. But um, I definitely say the Heights or South Rock whenever I was around my teammates. You know, one of my favorite memories from being in college was watching MLB playoff games in the fall with my teammates hanging out. Yeah. Because that's, that's when baseball is like, you know, game five, winner go home, and you're hanging out with all your guys who you play baseball with. You just got finished inter-squatting at practice, and it was always a good time. That's probably definitely one of my favorite memories for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So now let's move on to post-grad life. Um, you did earn a master's degree in sports and fitness administration at United States Sports Academy, which I've never heard of. What, what yeah, kind of so, so the United States Sports Academy is based out of Alabama, and all what it is is sports-specific education. Okay. So cool. My master's is uh, it's a dual master's in sport coaching and sport management. So that gives me a, um, an educational side to a coaching background mm -hmm. and then, <clears throat> as well as the sport management side. So that gives me another route. You know, if, if, if coaching didn't work out, 
having a master's in sport management could put me in athletic administration or in the if I was to land a front office spot with a team or something like that along those lines, it was just another avenue if plan A didn't work, you know, in regards to with, with, with coaching, you know, but I did, um, after I graduated, I went to grad school online. So I went online and I worked and I went online and I coached and stuff like that to kind of build my resume while getting my master's degree. Yeah, absolutely. So you went back to, were you, what's this says Kentucky area? Right. So what I've so what I did was, especially I guess earlier in my career, which makes me sound old now, but <laughs> um, I coached in a lot of collegiate summer leagues, which okay. is basically college players from all over the country being put on on essentially in layman's terms, random teams with random players they never met all June and July, and then they play, and they play wooden bat. And it's mostly guys that have ability and aspirations to go to the next level. So they play wooden bat, and then there's a lot of sc- scouts that go around to different leagues and, and, and watch them. So what I was, what I did was, you know, for two years after I finished playing, I coached at, back at my old high school. And then in the summertime, I would go away from home. So I would go to Myrtle Beach, or I'd go to Kentucky or New York or yeah. what have you, or D.C., and I would coach for these two months to add to my resume, to learn new things, you know, and to try to to try to build my resume in the summer. Because at one point, I was having a lot of trouble getting into the college game in regards to coaching at a school. Yeah. The only thing that I could do was to sacrifice my summers in my 20s to coach college guys in the summer. So if I do apply for a job, they can say, hey, well, he did coach three years at a collegiate summer league, so he has some experience with college players. You know, I had to I had to figure out, you know, okay, what was the sacrifice that I was gonna make to get my career going in the right direction. Yeah. So like twenty three to twenty eight, like my summers, I was out coaching somewhere. You know, so I was I was out there and putting my best foot forward, just trying to continue to build build my resume, you know, to get to where currently to where I am now. Yeah, absolutely. And what what was it like going back to your uh hometown? and coaching for the high school team like not i feel like not a lot of people get to do that so like it was, what was it was it was fun um it was fun because a lot of the younger guys would attach try to attach themselves to me or they would listen more to me because i just got finished playing in college exactly yeah you know, so and then also my high school pitching coach who i'm still tight with to this day was on that coaching staff. So now, you know, five or six years after he was my coach, we're now coaching together. So that was interesting as well. But it was it was nice, you know, to to be around the game, to be to always to always go back, you know, and be able to help out where you came from. I think that usually yeah. speaks a lot to somebody's character. You know, I would feel worried if I were to go home and wanted to help and they said no. Yeah. <laughs> I, would, I would have to think like do you just not want me or is there something with my name that's not that's not okay with you? Yeah. If you don't want me, then you don't want me. That's fine. But if you say, hey, this, that, and the third is attached to your name, then I'd be like, well, then there's a problem, character-wise. Yeah, you know? no, I, I have the same uh, feeling. Like, you know, if I, if I did live back in Western PA, back close to Beaver, I would absolutely want to go and help coach, like, the high school football team. Granted, I only played one year of college football, 
but it's like, I want to give back to the program that gave so much to me. I think that's a, like a lot more people should look into doing that if they can. Yeah. If there's, I think, I think that if there's ever a chance and not only with, not only with people or the program that you played in, but the school altogether, you yeah. know, there's been, there's been young men and young women that have come after me that didn't play baseball that were looking to go to college while I was in college. And I'd say, Hey, this is what you got to do academically. You know, you got to do this, you got to get your application, all that stuff in. And then even now, um, even if I recruit somebody from Ambridge for baseball, even if they don't pick Bethany, maybe they're a division one type prospect, I'm still willing to help out. You know, I don't have to know you personally. You yeah. know, we were we we wear the same colors, we were same alma mater. You know, that that there enough is enough for me to want to lend a helping hand. Because the goal is to get you to lend a helping hand and then the next one and then the next one. And then then there's a progression of people helping each other out. You know, that's the goal. So you have to be like, Well, I don't know that person, I'm not gonna help them. You have to put that stuff to the side. You know, you have to do what's right, you know, for the people. You don't want to forget where you came from. You know, somebody along the line always helped you, and it's your job to reach back and try and help somebody else. And hopefully that trend continues. Yeah, absolutely. So now let's jump forward to your first college head coaching job. I think it was at Voorhees College. Right, I was at Voorhees College. It's a small NAI school in, uh, in Denmark, South Carolina. It's about about 10 hours from the county. It's a long drive. Yeah, so what was that experience like? You're, you know, you've been grinding these summer leagues. You've been assistant coach at uh, PSU Beaver. Or was that just PSU? Greater Allegheny. I was Greater, Allegheny. Greater Allegheny, my bad. So, like, you're going through all these jobs, like, just grinding it out, trying to build your resume. How much of a relief was that to finally get your first head coaching gig? It was, it was big-time relief because – I was getting ready to go back to uh, the Beaver Valley Ball interview at Dick Sporting Goods. Yeah. <laughs> I had an interview at Dick Sporting Goods lined up uh, probably a week or two or three whenever I got – after I got back home from coach, I was coaching in Charlotte. Yeah. After I finished coaching in Charlotte, about three weeks later, I would have had an interview at Dick Sporting Goods. So I would have lived at home been working at Dick Sporting Goods trying to figure out my next move to the next coaching gig, you know, and I, I had a lot of odds and ends, small jobs. You know, I worked, I worked at um, a steel plant. I worked at the YMCA in the housing department, maintenance department. I worked at Vitamin World at the mall doing a whole bunch, a lot of different things. So to finally get the full-time job, I always ask myself, what are you going to do whenever you get the call that you're going to get it? And then I was like, oh, we'll see what happens. So I get the call and I just started, I just started laughing. I was like, I can't believe it's actually <laughs> happened. You know, can't believe it happened. Hung up, called my mom, told her. And then I sat there and I was like, so now what do I do? <laughs> yeah, it's like, you've got what you've been wanting your whole life. Now what? <laughs> you know? Exactly. So it was, it was a quick turnaround. I was coaching in Charlotte, which is about two and a half hours from where the school is. I drove down for my interview, came back, got offered the job, had to go back for orientation, came back, finished the season, and then I had to go back for for the beginning of school because school started like 12 days later. Yeah, that's and, true. Uh, 
I had uh, there's a lot of young men that transferred over the summer because they didn't know who their what their head coaching situation was. So and I don't blame them. You know they decided yeah. to go somewhere else. So I started off with a small roster my first year and I had to adjust and, and um, I took over a three and thirty one team and I had twelve guys. You know we went uh, ten and twenty one our first year, but that was the first ten win season in like five or ten years. You know, so it was um, it was a learning experience, and it was uh, I was able to take all the things from every coach that I had been involved with, played for, coach with, and take what I liked, throw away what I didn't like. But now at this point, I'm able to add whatever I want to add. Yeah, I was in charge, and then also I didn't I didn't have an assistant, so I didn't have an as a head coach I didn't have an assistant until I got to Bethany. Gotcha. So I had to also figure out how to maneuver. How are you going to manage your time to get everything done at practice by yourself? Yeah, yeah. So once I figured that out and it made it easier, you know, there were some things that didn't work. There were some things that did work, you know, but there was a lot of coaching resources and, and friends and that I was able to bounce ideas off of and talk to and family and friends that gave me a whole lot of support and still do to this day. So I was very, you know, fortunate and blessed to not only have the opportunity, but have the, the people in, in, in my corner with me. That's a crazy situation not to have an assistant coach. Did you have like it is it is it is crazy, but um the only the only big thing about it was I just couldn't get thrown out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you no, know, but um it's definitely it's different. It's different. You just have to learn how to uh how to play in practice. You know, I was very fortunate. Uh, coach Jim Chester, who was the head coach of Penn State Great Allegheny, gave me my first opportunity to be a uh, to be an assistant coach, a pitching coach. But yeah. every Monday we play in practice. So I learned the importance of playing in practice. So now when I'm by myself, I may not have somebody to bounce ideas off of, but I can play in practice and figure out how I want to navigate through a week of, okay, we're going to practice Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. This is what we're going to do. So we're going to get everything accomplished this week. And we can look at the next week tentatively and tentatively the next week. But, you know, for two years, learning how to plan practice, you know, that was, that was really big for me because I carried it all the way through even now. Yeah. You, know, you have a game plan. You have to, you have to navigate through it. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about you coming to Bethany college. I was, what was I a junior at the time? Um, it was two years ago. I got hired. I started around Thanksgiving of 2018. I thought it would have been your senior year. Yeah, that was my senior year, actually. Senior year, right. Yeah. yeah. So you come in, you know, there was talk about the old coach. You know, everybody loves him. I think they still love him in that community. But just the way he coached, some I knew some of the players weren't a fan. And whenever they heard mm -hmm. that they were getting a guy like you, a younger guy, they were ecstatic before they even met you. I know I'm good friends with Matt Caraney, who I think he eventually rejoined the team. I coached him in high school. And you coached him in high school. <laughs> so he had a little more inside baseball to yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> So he knew who you were. He was able to spread the good word. Right. So coming into a situation like that, um, where you had a team who they loved the coach, just couldn't, couldn't do it anymore with him. Uh, Strategy-wise, I guess. How how do you approach that? I mean, Carve Carve was there for a good chunk of years, so you're 
are you worried about changing tradition? Are you worried about um, how you're going to approach practice? Like what, what are your uh, instincts going into a, a situation like that at Bethany College? Well, I say um, <clears throat> the biggest thing for me was, so through my interview process, I had, there was a part of my interview, probably 30, 45 minutes where I had to meet with the team in the lecture hall. So after going through, you know, introductions of themselves and myself, we get to talking about coaching philosophies and things like that. And then I had a message for the senior class. And I said, whether you hire, whether I'm your choice or not, you're going to have a new head coach. And there's going to be people outside of here that are going to say, oh, this year is a pass. You're new to the coach. The coach is new to you. It's a pass. We'll see what happens afterwards. Or you can throw that out the window and say, let's go for it. Like, so what? I'm new. You're new. So what? Let's go. That gave me chills just knowing what happened that year. And, <laughs> and I don't know if they knew how literal or how serious I was when I said that. But that was – so to answer your question, that was my approach. Yeah. Like, I didn't have – I didn't have time to worry about, oh, am I doing this? Are they going to be mad? You know, I had to throw that out. You know, I my, what my focus was, baseball is going to take care of itself. I need to learn personalities. Well, first, I need to learn names. Yeah. <laughs> learn names, learn personalities. You know, I need to learn who I can talk to and about certain things, who communicates better than others. Yeah. You know, and stuff like that and, and what guys' strengths are versus their weaknesses so how I can put each person in a position to succeed. Yeah. That's what I was worried about. You know, in baseball, you got to throw, run, hit, catch. It's been like that since you were six, and it's like that for the guys in the big leagues. But I had to get to know them and who could hit where in the lineup and, they're, they're you know, who's, who's this, that, and the third. That's what I had to get to learn. But my approach to it was just what I said in the interview. You know, I said, hey, look, if we're going to go for it, let's go. But let's go now. Let's not try to spark it up in the middle of April, you know, and turn turn, turn the light on. You know, let's let's go now, you know, once I get here. You know, and I think, you know, I would hope at least that, you know, that kind of might have won them over. So then whenever we had the Bison Challenge, I think they were kind of like, oh, he was serious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and then it was in, – in, what I, I what I understood was that I had to try my best to to change the culture, and it's not so much change it from bad to good; it's change it from one person to the next. Yeah. You know, so if I say that, hey, we're gonna play music and have fun at practice as long as we're getting our work in, then I had to show that it was okay to have a little fun while you get your work in, so they know. Yeah. So then, as they as they got comfortable with me and I got more comfortable with them, you know there was no more surprises. It was a more of a loose environment that coach, you know, it, I know if I turn my stereo up as high as it goes, as long as I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, coach isn't going to be bothered with me. Yeah. You know, and then that type of comfort amongst other things. And then I think, I think it went, it went well, you know, I think it was a great match, you know, and I think that we, uh, we had a lot of fun. No, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So you talked, you mentioned the bison challenge. Yeah. I was there waking up 
what yeah, five man. in the morning with you guys right. yeah filming you guys doing these workouts <laughs> you had the best seat in the house yeah i that was just like being there and we're going to talk about what happened with that season because it's pretty special um just being there to see that firsthand was really cool um and it really was just i i mean i, I don't mean to take the the reins on explaining but what the bison challenge was was what are you going to do for your team? What are you going to do for your teammates? And what are you going to do for yourself? It was, are you going to go the extra mile? Are you going to get out of bed, do what like needs to get done? Or are you going to say, I'll show up to practice. I'll, I'll walk through practice and I'll go home and that's it. it. It was really an experience, like almost like, I like to compare it to uh, Herman Boone in Remember the Titans. When they went for the run. It was very much that kind of environment every morning for, I think it was two weeks. Yeah, it so, was it was. Yeah, fun. just go through it. Like, how did you uh, come up with it? Well, it's it's something that's very prominent at the, at the Division One level. They call it the Omaha Challenge. That's where Division One World Series is. Yeah. So my assistant at the time mentioned it. And then I, I did some research on it and I said, all right, well, let's sit down and let's let's figure out the, the workouts that we're going to do and how we're going to do each day. So we did we did four days. We did 6 a.m., 6 a.m., I think 7 p.m., and then 6 a.m. the next day. Yeah. And mind you, I, at this point, I was commuting from Ambridge to Bethany. <laughs> so if you saw me juiced at 6.30 in the morning, I was juiced at 4.45 on the yep. road <laughs> driving. You know, I was ready to go. So um, we broke the teams up into four uh, four groups, and we had our max deadlift, our max squat. We did different exercises. We were doing competitions on the football field on uh, that third the evening under the lights, and then we finished it with the run through town, the run to uh, – to uh to the baseball field you know my my goal was to my goal was to let the guys know that you know it doesn't matter what anybody else says because i know that people were going to pass the pass us off because they just got a new coach you know he's going to start practice in january you're going to start playing in february like there's no way it's going to work yeah and i said it doesn't matter so i told the guys i said we're going to turn around at some point in the middle of the year, we're going to be right in the thick of things. And I've never claimed myself to be Nostradamus, but we were eight and eight in conference with eight conference games left. And I was like, Hey, we're right in the middle of it. <laughs> you know, we went a little bit of a run and, you know, we fell a little short, but we ended up getting into the tournament, but we went on a little bit of a run after that. You know, I yeah. think the guys, the guys really bought in, the guys believed and the guys had fun. You know, I think that those two things made a world of difference for that 2019 season. Yeah, absolutely. So the team ended up – you guys – did you go to the uh, the championship? Yes, we uh, – Yeah, we it was on graduation day. I remember that. Yeah, we finished runner-up in the conference tournament, and, and uh, it was the same day as commencement. Yeah. You know, so – and uh, the guys graduated early. They had their uniforms on with their cap and gown over top. You know, and they met in the calf, had the commencement at the gates, went through the gates, you know, and then they went and played for a championship. So, you know, the 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 totality of being a student athlete in one day. Yeah. Your bachelor's degree, then I'm obviously we fell short. 
but you go get your bachelor's degree and you play for a championship in the same in the same day. Yeah, I mean, that was just, even as just a student, like, yeah, I had a little bit of a closer lens to it, but I think across the campus, we were just, like, amazed at, like, okay, this baseball team that used to be, like, average, you know, they just, they, all they did was party and go play baseball. Now they're out there playing for a championship, and I think you had a big part of doing that, and it was just awesome to watch the process, be a part of it, and I think that was probably the highlight of a lot of people's senior year at Bethany College that year. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would surely hope that they, that they had a good time, that they enjoyed it. I mean, winning's always fun. You know, we had, I noticed that the more and more that we sung Country Roads after winning, there was more and more people in the stands. Yes. You know, and then there was more, more people down the line watching the games, which was good, which means that, you know, the, the campus community was becoming invested you know, and, and what we were doing, you know, and for us to be, you know, playing for the championship was, was big. And, you know, and, and the biggest thing for me, for that, for that season, or those guys that were, that, that were a part of that team was that if you believe in something and you work for it, if you truly believe and you work for it, you can turn things around, you know, the outsiders will doubt you. But, you know, you can't you can't believe in that. You can't invest in that. You know, you can't listen to that. You have to focus on what you're focused on. You know, so as a team, we were focused on winning games, getting to the tournament, winning a championship. You know, that yeah. was our, that was our goal. You know, and initially, I believe it started. Again, to backtrack at the interview, you know, I told him, I said, you guys can say, yeah, we'll just, you know, see what happens with the new coach or you can take everybody out there that's going to that's gonna pass on you and you can throw it back at them, you know, and, and we did, you know, we played extremely well for, for the year, you know, every season is going to have their ups and downs, you know, but we competed, you know, for, for almost every, in almost every game, you know, we did really well and the guys were bought in, you know, and it was, uh, it was a great, you know, it was a great experience. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Now, most people would say this is a good time to stop the interview, but since I did go to Bethany and I know what Bethany is like, <laughs> I need to ask you, what is it like working at probably one of the smallest collegiate institutions in the United States? <laughs> um, I like it. You know, I like when I was, a, when I was a student, the smaller the classrooms, the better I was. That's how I was. Yeah. So being here, and not only the classroom, it's a small type of family environment, you know, and not only do I work here, but I have an apartment in the middle of town, you know, so if someone like me, I'm not going to be very far, you know, so if somebody needs help with something, if there's an emergency, if, you know, if I have to set up a meeting with an advisor or a professor, or if I have an athletic meeting, anything like that, I'm always, for the most part, I'm always accessible. So I don't mind the, the small college, you know, atmosphere, the small college feel. I kind of like it whenever a lot of people know a lot of people, you know, and it, it helps navigate our students through, you know, instead of just becoming a number, you, be, you can become a name. And it's like you have more value and more worth at a smaller institution. And um, so it's not, you know, I, I don't mind it at all. So like I, I, a lot of people don't understand how small Bethany is. How many students are on campus right now? I'm sure it's more than when I was there. Um, 
I don't want to say the wrong number, but I want to say that at some point during the fall, it was between 550 and 600. Yeah. And like, that's the amount of like a lot of students, large high schools. <laughs> I know that our student faculty ratio is 10 to one. Yeah. You know, so you could have, and I, I know that there's some like, you know, your commu early communications classes or biology classes might have a larger number of students, but you could be a junior in an accounting class that's a three or 400 level class and have eight people in it. Exactly. Yeah. I think that one on one, <laughs> that one on one with your professors and, you, and your advisors is, is huge in my personal opinion. Yeah, no, it's it at Bethany. It really is like your advisor is like more than a teacher to you because yeah. they're literally like with you almost every day. If you're not with them every day, you're probably doing something wrong. <laughs> right. Right. I have, a, I have a question. What's, what's probably the most, either most annoying or dumbest thing that you've been asked to do that you're like, I'm the baseball coach. Why am I doing this at this small college? Cause oh, I feel like everybody has to fill a spot at Bethany cause we just don't have enough people. <laughs> um, I was never, uh, that's a, that's actually a good question <laughs> because I'm trying to think what I've, what I've done. That's outside the box, I guess. Yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't think, I don't think I have anything. I, I have learned. You done moon what's that? Moonbeam? I don't know what that is. Oh, you don't even know what moonbeam is? Mm -mm. That's the, uh, during finals week. In the cafeteria, that whole thing. Oh, like to serve? Yeah, yeah. Oh no, I haven't. I haven't done that yet. Okay, so I, I mean, good for you. <laughs> I remember. I remember when I was in school, having those as a student. So it wouldn't be completely foreign to me. Yeah. To have that. Uh, I don't. I don't know if I have anything yet. I know, I've done the book for men's and women's basketball, but yeah. I I learned how to do it and I enjoy it because I enjoy basketball. So that's not anything strange or out of the ordinary. Um. I had driven vans before to away games and um, yeah, I don't think that moment has yet to come and I know who to call whenever it happens. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, like that's, I always noticed that sporting events, you always had one person who it seemed like, why are they here? Like, why are they doing this? Yeah. Well, the, <laughs> big, thing, the big thing about small college athletics is that it takes everybody. And that's how I learned when I was an assistant at Penn State, Greater Allegheny, I learned how to do the official book for basketball. I learned how to track libero for volleyball because it, it takes everybody. Yeah. You know, so we'd have basketball tip-off tournament to be five games a day and I'm doing the book. You know, or volleyball would have, you know, two matches and I'd be, you know, I'd be doing tracking libero. So, you know, so there's certain things like that where you're thinking that a baseball coach would never have to learn. But whenever you work at a small school, it takes a lot. It takes everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm trying to think of some good stuff. Cause I feel like this is like my wheelhouse. I need to get you with a question. I'll tell you, I'll tell you this. Um, I'm sausage, egg and cheese at Chambers. What are you? Oh, sausage, egg and cheese. I'm bacon, egg and cheese at Chambers. It's not bad. It's a good, it's a good change up. Yeah. Um, uh, but I'm definitely, I'm sausage, egg and cheese guy. And, um, so, okay, how would you explain Chambers to someone who is outside of Bethany College? Oh, man. I would first have to learn where they're from. 
Yeah, to compare it to something. It's very different. You'd have to explain. I guess like for you and I, it would be like a, a true value. Yeah. More more of a uh, more of a sandwich shop, like 70-30 sandwich shop the true value. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they don't have true value. If somebody doesn't have true values, they don't know. Yeah. Um it's man, I really I, I couldn't tell you how to explain chambers to somebody. It's one of those things that you have to experience. Absolutely. Um and it's it's unique in its own way. You know, there's a lot of things, especially in twenty twenty, that aren't old fashioned and it has an old fashioned feel to it. Oh yeah. It's like stepping in a time machine. It is, it is for sure. And then, but I, but I love it. You know, I love it. And I think that especially, um, even during during quarantine and when school shut down and went online, you could scroll Twitter and see students tweeting like, "Man, I just want a breakfast sandwich from Chambers." Always, I'm <laughs> always craving Chambers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so I think that it's one of those things that it would take a Bethany student to. Um, to, to fully understand the the place that Chambers holds in people's hearts. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, I think we're going to wrap it up right here. Cool. JT, Justin Thomas, thank you for joining me. Uh, it's a fantastic second interview with you in my lifetime. <laughs> hey, I appreciate the opportunity, man. It's good to talk to you next time you're around this way. You know, we got to get to the hot dog shop. Oh, got to get some hot dog shop. I've been craving it, man. For sure. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks. No problem. Take it easy. To show you how easy it is to file a claim with GEICO, we hired a nature show host. In the native habitat of a suburban driveway, the poor victim of a broken windshield is left assessing his vehicle utterly helpless. Well, not true. If he's got GEICO, he can file a claim online, over the phone, or with his handy mobile app. But like a lone gazelle, he'll suddenly be left to fend for himself, awaiting his terrible fate. Nope. GEICO will assign him a designated claims team to help him out, too. So the gazelle gets his car fixed and everything. Wow. Nature is so cool. GEICO. Great service. Without all the drama. 